Welcome, boys and girls, one and all, to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. An all-ages music podcast, apparently. <laughs> Men, women, non-binary, every, every, everybody. Grant Morrison's of the world. Um, Jubilee Street, a music podcast. I'm Ian McCurtis. He's Jake Curtis. Hello. Blue the intern dog, Buffy the HR dog. Ruff. And today we're talking about Oh Children. Children. By Nick Cave and the Pad Seats. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and Ian. This is the final track on Lyra Vorpheus, mm-hmm. Abattoir Blues. Believe, I get, always get these mixed up. Is Lyra Vorpheus the second side? The second album? Or is it? Yeah, I think so. So I can just, ch- I, I can check. So the, the KVs out there aren't like screaming, it's the other side. Blues checking. But blues checking. Yeah, I think it's Abattoir Blues first, Lyra Vorpheus second. Yeah, Abattoir Blues, Lyra Vorpheus. So uh, Lyra Vorpheus. This is the final song on that side of the album, and if you don't mind me saying, what an amazing song. Yeah, one of the best. What? 10 out of 10, thank, thank you for coming, we'll see you next time. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I can't think, of all the Nick Cave, like, closers that we've worked on, I think this is probably one of the best closers we've done. What about Oh Children, what about it is, is up in that upper echelon? of Bad Seed songs for you? I think, uh, well, there's a lot of things. It was one of the first songs of his I heard uh, because of Harry Potter. There we go. And then our friend Cody Ray mm-hmm. really loved that scene where they're Harry and Hermione are dancing, and he got into Nick Cave through that movie mm-hmm. just a year or two before I did. And Which Harry Potter movie was it in? It's in Deathly Hollows Part... It's part two because they're dancing in the... I can't remember which no, part it is. No, I, I don't remember. It's part one or part two. Yeah. But basically, Ron is left because he got all pissed off. He's yeah. been corrupted by the Horcrux. Mm-hmm. And they're not having a great time, but they have a radio, and somehow it like gets tuned in to a, a human station, I think. Yeah. And the song starts playing, and they just start dancing, and it's, it's just very sweet. It's like platonic. There's not a lot of like dancing scenes in movies that aren't sexual. It's just very sweet. If I remember correctly, the Horcrux made Ron think that Harry and Hermione liked mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just made him really paranoid. That's another good, like, historically, like, platonic friendship between a man and a woman that, like, there needs to be more of. I feel like it... Yeah, shout out to the bear right now. That's Sydney and Carm. Like, you don't see a lot of relationships like that. Yeah, you know what's weird, and though? And, like, in real life, real life is full of relationships like that. But just, there's just not enough in, of them in, in t- stories in stories and like TV. Yeah, I, I I have a response about the bear, but I think you need to watch more of the show before I say too much. So, um, but yeah, no, that, I think they're they are a good example of that. Um, Don and Peggy from Mad Men. I know you haven't seen that, but that's another good one. But this well, is a good song for it because it's like a sweet. There's also not a lot of songs that are like this sweet and uh, emotional. That aren't really like this isn't a love song. It's nothing to do with love. This song reminds me of 
something that you would hear in a church where they speak in tongues because it kind of ebbs and flows and like Mm -hmm. it has these waves of like kind of jubilant chorus and you know background backup singers street yeah so you, you, if you can imagine, it's just like some some person being like, and they're like, brother, come on up here. And there's another guy who's like, it's Paul, it's Paul Dano in that movie. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, there will be blood. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, he's so creepy in that. But that's what it. That's one of the first things that made me think of. I just this episode will probably be full of tangents because I think this song has a lot of it. Just sparked a lot of ideas for me. I just finished Joseph Smith and the Mormons by uh, Noah Van Skyver. Never knew anything about Joseph Smith, but there is something about how this song feels very like, this is one of the most religious spirit, like spiritual sounding bad seed songs, in my opinion. This is about as spiritual, like as a song can get without being religious. Like not name dropping, you know, our, Lord and Savior. Because this song, we, we talk a lot about how when Nick Cave's like firing on all cylinders, his songs are like, you know, super multi-layered of meaning. And this song, it can be viewed optimistically, pessimistically. It's mm-hmm. about the future. It's about the past. Just kind of about everything. This song hits too, because I, I think like from the very first, like, I mean, it's it's almost a seven minute song, if mm-hmm. not over seven minutes, like right at there. From the opening, like the little like, like the staccato piano notes Mm and it's I the listeners who have been listening since the beginning you've heard me say this I'm gonna say it again because I don't think there's a better way to say it but the restraint that they all show as like songwriters is so admirable and like it just it it makes you appreciate the way the song explodes and then pulls you pulls back the curtain mm-hmm. and it's like don't worry we got a little more for you it's like it's like dave matthews band you know <laughs> just, <laughs> just uh, restrained your solo's gonna come just a couple it, more minutes of jamming and then you can have your solo exactly but um i'm totally kidding about dave matthews uh shout out courtney who's going to see dave matthews her favorite band um that's all to say that uh i guess the other thing that this song makes me think of is graduation by by not, not, not that one. Third Eye Blind. No, not and not and by. I graduate. Not that one. No, and not uh, not Vitamin Kanye C. West either. But it, it makes me think of just like graduating from something. Oh, just uh, yeah, yeah. Because it feels a lot like like this is the song that I finally imagine Nick Cave with like the like truly fully formed like you know the priest collar and the white robe and he's mm-hmm. like he's like baptizing people as he's singing. Like there's a real missed opportunity for a great video. I don't think there's a music video for this no, song. I don't think so. The, this music would be, could be part of a great like parody or satire if he wanted to do that or just completely, you know, candid appreciate. I mean, he's, he has an appreciation for the Bible clearly. So this yeah. is one of those songs we talk, we, we said this multiple times, but like you're lucky if you get one of these in your entire life. And it yep. seems like every five years, you know, whether it's like Jubilee Street or Oh Children or Red Right Hand or whatever, it seems like every handful of years he gets one of these songs, and mm-hmm. it's just crazy. You're lucky to get one. Yeah, it it uh it it felt that way. It felt lucky. Like I hadn't listened. You know, we, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded last. I think um, the last episode we did was the Cormac McCarthy one mm-hmm. at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 
getting back into that mindset and like thinking like, oh, you know, got to talk. We're going to talk about Nick Cave again. This was just a very like warm reception again. You know, graduation reception. There's like something celebratory about this song in a way that a lot of Nick Cave songs don't feel. So, from a lyrical standpoint, I think this is just exceptionally well written. Yes, it's, it's it's optimistic because it's saying, "Hey, I'm getting older, but I think by you kids, like you guys are the future. Maybe you guys won't fuck up mm-hmm. like we did." And that's like very, you feel that in the song when the gospel choir comes in, it feels like, like we're moving forward. But then there's also the, the shit at the end of the song that's relating like the kids to kids being on a concentration camp who are happy to be on a train mm-hmm. and they don't know they're being taken to die. So it's like, pest, it's like both. It's like optimistic about the future, but it's also like, yeah, these kids think they're going to change shit and it's going to be the same shit over and over again. Yeah. Perception's it, everything. Yeah, right. you can, however you hear this song, like you could hear this as a happy song or a profoundly sad song. I was having a conversation with somebody, and I don't know where you lie about this stuff, but Oh Children was having me contemplate this. And I feel like in our generation and younger generations right now, there is this, like, I don't know if I'm using this word correctly, but there's like a fatal, there's a fatalist, like there, like there's an addiction to like, like a fatal mindset. Does that make sense? So it feels like we're all very worried about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, that's been a that's been always been a thing in our in our in our in human in the human society, like that's always been a thing. But it feels to me like I hear like I had this one particular friend I was talking to was like you know, he has a kid and he was like, "Oh, I you know, it's not going to like, I remember talking about like trying to save money for something like just some goal I had and um, being bummed that I still am unemployed and I can't do that. And it felt difficult to talk to him about it because he, he was like, well, in 16 years, it's not going to matter because, you know, everybody's going to be fighting for resources and it's going to be like children of men kind of stuff. I just don't really care for that mindset. I also don't think that's what will happen. But yeah, whether or not that's true, that's been something people have said since there was civilization. And to like me, people predicted the end times, and humans have shown themselves to be extremely resilient. Like, yeah, I mean that could be true. We don't. No one knows the future, but I don't really. I like, mean, there's there's a lot of scary stuff that we're dealing with now that is different but similar to what like people were afraid of Y two K. I just think that people discount. And maybe that's part of what the song's talking about because, like, there's the Holocaust imagery. Yeah. And did that really... I mean, World War II changed the world, but it didn't change evil. Like, there's still evil. Mm-hmm. Um, people fear the future. But, like, we just had COVID. This, it's, like, once-in-a-lifetime event that, like... Changed a lot of stuff. Everything. And mm-hmm. now think about how every day there's, like, some new crazy weather thing going on, probably due to climate change. And There's also apparently a malaria outbreak. Have you heard about that? No, but it's like, insane. think all this crazy <laughs> stuff that happens. Yeah, our day to day life is not really any different than it was ten years ago. Yeah, humans I mean, just adapt. It's just what we do. It, it's uh, COVID was like such a huge thing, and we adapted, and our lives like pretty much exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I, I think like given our, our like where because you and I are kind of like 
financially and whatnot, we're kind of in the middle of things, you know, we're, we, we're, we're a little bit more privileged in that way. But I, I think that the weirdest thing about 2023 has been that, like, it feels as if the pandemic never happened. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is the human resiliency. And then the other part is like, as a culture, we deny thinking about negative things a lot which I think is what contributes to the resiliency because yeah, it's built into our, our genes. It's like part of how our brains evolved. Well, it's like the other night and now that I, I'm remembering why I brought up the Joseph Smith and the Mormons book. And I, I think it relates to the song too. I thought about what does dying, what is dying going to feel like? And I don't really care if it hurts, but I'm more concerned about, we just, we spend so much time in these bodies, like worrying, you know, about, like you said, the weather or, you know, work, like oh, being overworked at some job we don't care about, like mm, writing a, like writing a short story. And then it's like, we enjoy it in the moment we do these things or complete these things, but what happens when we go, you know? And it's like, I... I think that the train is such a interesting idea in that a train can be seen as so many different things. It can be something that takes you to a destination that's going to better your life. But in this case, it's taking people to like gas chambers and they're going to get burned alive. Yeah. So it's like, that's all to say, it, it, I, I, going back to what I said about perception, it's like, it feels a lot like in a sort of like pretty masterful stroke of writing for Nick Cave that it, it is very much like a, he's able to, he's struck this like duality in that. And I don't know. I, I, I really resonated with it. I think this album is where, you know, he sort of starts the new philosophy of like the Nick Cave we know now, of like mm -hmm. the 2000s Nick Cave. And I think that the train, you know, that you get on it and the metaphor of the song, expecting, you know, greener pastures, and it takes you straight to, like, the evil of mankind. Yeah. And the way I take it is he's saying it's the... I've never read Game of Thrones, but there's, like, the famous quote where it's, like, death uh, is the final enemy, and he'll always win, but we have to keep fighting him. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of Nick Cave's philosophy. Like, evil and death are always going to exist, and you fucking fight it till you die. Like, mm -hmm. that's just what you do. That's just our purpose. Yeah. And Same. I feel like that, this song is sort of that idea. Same thing with the creative process. It's, like... Even yeah, you're always going to lose. Like might, You might as well keep making things and getting better at it. Because if you're a creative person, you're striving for perfection mm -hmm. usually. You're never going to hit it. Yeah. And you spend your life, which is what you do. You just keep trying. Yeah. You keep I mean, failing over and over again. You, you mentioned that you've been working on, like, you know, your band and, like, music for, like, almost, I mean, 15 years, right? Something like that. Something like that, yeah, yeah. And you know, long, sixteen or I think. Oh, it was when we were talking about Cormac McCarthy. It took him like thirty-five or forty years to really get recognized. Like, sell over five thousand books. You really have to trust in the ticket that you buy, mm -hmm. and just keep taking that same des destination every day and finding something new on that train ride to look at. You know, it's like today you notice that bird, today you know, you know this this the landscape happens to look particularly good in the sunlight. Um, so yeah. so you bring up fatalism and it's mm -hmm. sort of like two way you know fatalism can like ruin you because you can uh what is it like nihilism where you're like nothing matters? 
Yeah, I. You, you can turn into that, but yeah. fatalism can also be like, I know I'm going to lose ultimately, but if I choose to enjoy the journey, then it doesn't matter if I like. This yeah. is just the path I want my life, to, and even if it doesn't end up in success, it's what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And fatalism can you lead you that way? It can be a good thing or a bad thing. That's sort of like the Buddhist mm-hmm. version of fatalism. But that mind frame can also be bad because it makes me think of Ewan from Secession, mm-hmm. the brother. And he's always like, do no harm. That's like his philosophy. Yeah. But sometimes people that are like, do no harm, they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And then that can be apathy and then that can be bad. You know, all, all these like philosophies can be bad. It's done it's the wrong way. so ironic that you bring up that guy because I was, he, he, what's that actor's name? Um, the guy from James, Cromwell, James Cromwell. So James Cromwell, I think, was, uh, wasn't he the guy who was doing the Starbucks protests? Because they wouldn't serve oat milk so he would just go stand and uh, and block the line and not let people order i don't know talk about do no harm <laughs> somebody needed their frappuccino that day mr he Combo. was a very terrifying character on american horror story who'd he play he played um doctor named hans Gruber on american horror story asylum he was like a nazi doctor he was fucking hans scary. Gruber. yeah isn't that the name of the guy from die hard yeah they just i'm pretty what? sure that's his, that was his name that's hilarious uh and he is so scary Tangent aside, where were we going somewhere with that? Do you know? Or are we just rolling? No, with we it? were just talking about the duality of the song. How you oh, can yeah. take it multiple ways, and then one thing that it just listening to it before I read the lyrics, it it sounded a lot like my first impression of it was that <laughs> all the kids were dying, mm-hmm. and I was like, imagine if this song, like, do you remember those commercials they would play in like the movie theaters for St. Jude's Hospital? Oh, yeah. Imagine if this song was the song that played underneath that commercial. I still see, like, um, if I'm watching, like, YouTube or something, they'll yeah. have, like, the Cozair Children commercials and, yeah, they always... That's my that's my dark joke for the episode. I'm just, just imagine somebody being, like... Put this song. Children, come home. Oh, rejoice, children, you know? Well, it's crazy because the song sounds so... Like, if you took um, the, the lyrics out, if you took the vocals out, mm-hmm. the instrumental of the song is, like, the most hopeful... You know, uplifting thing. And the song starts off with like, the way I take it is mm-hmm. he's like, pass me that gun. He's like, the Nazis are coming. Yeah. Let's just kill ourselves so we can go out on our own terms. Right. It's so fucking dark. Mm-hmm. But the song sounds so light. So that image was really striking to me. Uh, have you played any of Persona 5? I can't remember. Yeah, maybe 10 hours. So, which for that game is, is nothing. Well, you'll still get the reference. So in the combat of that game... Oh, wait, no, it's not that one. I think it's Shin Megami Tensei. It's it's one of them. But essentially, in, in it's either Persona 5 or, like, they essentially have to use guns and the characters will, like, shoot themselves in order to open up their persona and, like, summon their persona. Yeah, in Persona, they don't do... They have the gun, they have the projectile weapon, but they don't... Then it's Shin Megami that Tensei that I'm thinking of. But this made me think of how, like... I think suicide is obviously kind of it's it's a it's a touchy it's a touchy subject for a lot of people and and a personal one to me but there is something that like you have this option that could alleviate a certain amount of suffering and also control is so huge in our lives like I think a lot of like my personal like growth and change has come from realizing that like like the mistakes I've made like the the people, the ways I've hurt people, 
has always been, has always come back to like a need for control, like sort of Mm. a lashing out for like control. And that line, like you said, like being able to, we're going to die, we're going to get put into these incinerators anyway, like let's just control the narrative, you know? But I, this is going to sound so dark and I hope it doesn't because I think this is like a beautiful thing about people. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to such a dark place here. All, All these people came and got captured by the Nazis and they knew what was up. Like, mm-hmm. they knew they were probably going to die. Yet, I don't think a lot of them committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Because we have this thing where, like, I know there's 99.999% chance this isn't going to work out. But yeah. what if it does? Mm-hmm. And all these people, a lot of these people probably had the means to end it all. They probably had a gun in their house. Mm-hmm. And they chose to to just be like, what if? Yeah. And that's like... Uh, uh, in, in this situation, it's very dark. It led to a lot of suffering, but it's like a beautiful thing that humans have in us where we're like, we know that this is a losing cause, but like, what if? That's what's so powerful about Mouse by Art Spiegelman because half of the time in the concentration camps, you see these in, these captured Jewish people just like having a conversation and and like quiet, don't stop. quietly suffering, but they're like mm-hmm. working for like a cent a day and like barely any food. So there's a, there's a resiliency in that for sure. And I don't think, I don't think that's dark at all. I mean, I think that's just looking at history and the like the greatest possible way. And, you know, in, um, that's what man's search for meaning is about. Have you read that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing is like, even in the most dire circumstances, humanity, most of the time goes high. And I think we all, you know, no one listening to this is going to have the concentration camp, uh, experience but like yeah I'm, I'm sure there's parts of your life where you look back on and you're like how the fuck did i get through that like uh-huh. that was some i know you've had some crazy periods and oh, in, in the moment you just you go day by day you don't even think about it and then five ten years later you're like holy shit how did i do that there's one in particular i could say right now i was driving across the country to move to kentucky this year and on the absolute hardest night of driving, I put my turn signal on and I pulled our truck into a, another lane. And it was only a two-lane road. Mm-hmm. But I thought I was so tired. I was like, oh, this is a left turn lane. And there was like a semi-truck coming towards us. Oh, shit. And luckily it was far away. But I like, Haley and I, you know, both like our lives just flashed in front of our eyes because I was just, it just... So such such that was the, one of the hardest days of my life. Probably, it was so hard. But here we are. Didn't die. Mm. <laughs> so close to it. I hate thinking about that, but it also is kind of. It's just great. It's just great that nothing bad happened. But another line that stuck out to me, if you don't if you don't mind me, no, moving ahead. along to something. Um, and I I don't think any of what you said was dark. I think a lot of what is great about Nick Cave is that he can go to that place. Um, I'm looking for the... Well, it's like, you you know, against duality, you don't have lightness without dark because you, you don't know how to measure it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, like, great things about humanity come from the worst parts. So the line that I wanted to bring up was, poor old Jim's white as a ghost, he's found the answer that was lost. So I thought that was interesting because they they kind of elicit the idea that when you're dead, you finally got your answer. Mm. And if there is an idea that's stuck with me 
throughout my entire life. It's this frustration and this obsession with like being like, like purpose. And I, and I've found a lot of purpose recently, but I definitely struggled with that a lot in my twenties, like not knowing where to put my time, having a hard time paying attention to one thing. And yeah, that line, did that line elicit anything from you? I think the idea is the same. I, mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't take it as death, but more so. He found the answer that was lost. Like this song's about youth. Mm-hmm. He, you know, when you're young, like uh, when I was like 16 and Obama was running, I was so all in, dude. Yeah. I was, I was like, this guy's gonna fucking mm-hmm. save the country. Yeah. And a I, lot of people thought that. And even like, you know, 25 when Bernie came along, I wasn't that. You just grow more cynical. And then who knows how cynical I'll be when I'm 60, 70. I think uh, he found the answer that was lost is like uh, someone getting old and maybe like at the end of their life finding that youthful optimism and naivety. Well, the the other idea that came to me coming off what you said was I've been spending more time with James and, you know, he has like a little three-year-old daughter. And I have to say being around her sometimes really reminds me that it makes me forget about time. And it reminds me that when I was, you know, four, five, you know, up until I was like probably in high, like late high school, I just had no, there was no sense of like urgency or like worry really, which is partially due to the fact that I was like, I grew, I had a pretty good life growing up. And how I think the older I've gotten, the more I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? You know, I'm unemployed right now. It's like, what am I going to do about money? You know, I, I can't seem to find any of the, like a kind of job that I want. Am I going to have to like, and then being around these, this younger person, Mm -hmm. it's like, all they care about is like, you know, I would go in the other room to grab like a drink or something. And she would be like, Jack. And I would like, I'd be like, what Francis? And I'd go back in the room and she's like, watch me do a flip. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. I'll watch you do a flip all day. Um, and that's kind of what it made me, made me think of is that there is like, I think it's why when you get older, I think a lot of people, they, they end up having a kid because they, it's like a, it's the best, probably the best kind of distraction all around besides like video games to keep you from worrying about that stuff too much. That makes me think so much of Nick Cave's like output. I wonder how it hits people who don't make music or don't write or like don't have a creative outlet because I feel like so much of it's tuned to that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And this is the same way, what you were saying. Like at any given time as an adult, there's so many things like I want to do 10 things at once. I, I, I want to play video games, but I also want to write. I also want to text Jake and see what he's up to. I also want to go outside in the garden. Like, Do your calculus it, homework. <laughs> yeah, at any given time, there's like 10 things I want to do. But that's not how all people are. Like, I think that's just how like, maybe creatively minded people are because a lot of people just want to watch TV and go to bed, you yeah. know? Uh, so it can be like, it's annoying that I never feel like there's enough time, but I'm glad I'm not the kind of person that like my parents, like so many adults in my life when I was a kid, mm-hmm. they didn't have anything they want to do with their time. They just sat in their house yeah, and did nothing. Isn't that crazy? I think about like, like, uh, Haley's mom, she didn't have any hobbies. It all, I've always found it a pet peeve when people just say they're bored. 100%. Because, like... It's like that Louis C.K. episode. You're, you're you're bored? Like, you live in this time with, like, a phone with the internet. Like, you can literally do anything. Yeah, I just, know? like, 
I don't know if I've ever been bored in my life. I'm sure I have been like at a doctor's office waiting for an appointment, but like but now there's so many things you could do at any time. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like um you, you brought up the I think you should leave or he's like you won't be a good writer because you don't have a curious mind. <laughs> like if you're bored, you just don't have a curious mind. <laughs> Roy Donk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh no, I mean that that's true. That's a huge thing. One of the reasons that I really fell for Haley is that she is almost sickeningly curious. Like, Oh, I think that's why, like, I know that in that, I think you should leave. It's a joke, mm-hmm. but that is the most attract in a friend or a partner. That's the most attractive. That's why I love you. Like mm-hmm. any, I, I find that so attractive in a person. If they're just curious, if, if someone says something, they don't know what it is. They're like, what is that? Yeah. Cause a lot of people just don't care. They just, I'll ignore that. Or uh, some people are like afraid to yeah. ask. There's a, there is a vulnerability with it. That's hard for some people. And yeah. Um, I think curiosity is a, like it's probably the the best possible thing you can have because there's a like I I go play um, cards with people from time to time at Comic Book World and as I've gone I've got to know the guys a lot more and it's very much like what you think it's gonna be mm-hmm. you know it's a very like everybody's got swamp ass like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know they love they love these cards like they love these characters like it's very nerdy it's very goofy there's a lot of jokes and innuendos and it's fun it's it's fun but it it saddens me because I think a lot of them just go home and then they go to UPS on Monday mm-hmm. and then they're like and it's like I'm glad that they like, you know, they go play video games or maybe they go out to dinner with their friends. Like, I think it's great that they have a community, but it's always been difficult for me when people are, aren't like, you know, they don't have like a, like an, a natural curiosity about things like, Oh, I, I heard about this new hereditary movie. It sounds really scary. Mm-hmm. I want to go see it. Or, you know, Oh, I've heard about this, you know, I've never really watched any of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. I'm going to go see the new one because Seth Rogen produced it. Like, you know, it's like, but then there's people, especially like our, our parents. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably cliche to even say this, but it's like, they're not like, like I use Haley's mom as an example a lot, but she has like no interest in learning about anything new unless it's like a new Star Trek show or whether or not Haley and I have had a baby yet. Or are, are going to get married. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think it's a, a lot of people, you hit an age, and sadly for some people, it's like 18, 19. Yeah. Uh, you hit some age and you just become closed off. Yeah. It's why I have another pet peeve when people um, will see like a, a show or a, a movie, and if they don't immediately get it, they're like, oh, it's too weird for me or it's pretentious. That just, it just insinuates you're closed off. You're just not. Ah. You're just not being open to a new idea. And yeah. I, I, hate, I hate that. Well, I mean, you just you just got into Lost recently, right? You're watching Watch Lost? the first episode. I don't know if I got, I don't know if I like it yet. But. Yeah. I mean, it's Damon Lindelof, so you'll probably end up if if Courtney's watching it with you, you're you're going to finish it probably. But I just had this happen with uh, I saw my dad on the way back from Atlanta. We oh, stopped he, and got how's lunch. He doing? He's doing really good. Uh, he's do, is he still I can't I'm sorry, I can't I just can't remember. Is his cancer in remission? Is oh, it, yeah. He's, he's fine? Yeah, it's right. totally fine. They just clipped that chunk of skin out of his butthole, and now he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> uh, but he asked about the new Wes Anderson movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Asteroid uh, City. I yeah. forgot to ask you about that. Tell me about it. I brought up that I saw it, and he's never seen a Wes Anderson movie before, and I expected him to, like, I don't know, like most 50-something-year-old people just, like, 
kind of shit on Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. And he was asking, like, oh, what are his movies like? What? And I was like, oh, this is why I miss you living in town. Cause yeah, your dad's very... Not enough older people in my life that are just curious like that. Mm-hmm. If it was my mom, she'd just be like, oh, yeah, I heard his movies are bullshit and artsy-fartsy. Nobody really gives him the credit, but your dad was the fu- first Human Torch. <laughs> Because he fell into that fire. That was True. his origin story. Before Chris Evans. <laughs> and, he, and then legend has it he would be seen flying around southern Indiana yeah. in a leather jacket on fire. It so basically a, he looked like Ghost Rider. If it was a clear night, you might be able to see him. Yeah. Dangle Joe Thompson, man. In his, <laughs> in his sidekick, Ace. Ace the Flying Wonder Dog. But uh, you like the movie, though? Asteroid City? I would love for you to see it because it's... it's uh the weirdest movie he's ever made and i don't know Did you, you liked it though i liked it but i i, I want to see it again because you're not even gonna know how to take this because west Anderson movies have never been like i don't know what it was it, it's like meta there's layered to it it's like mm-hmm. the movie is a tv special about a play and sometimes you're watching the play like the mm. movie is the play uh-huh. and then sometimes it turns black and white and it's the tv special about the play Okay. But towards the end, things start getting mixed. Mm-hmm. Like, a black and white character appears in the color play. Mm-hmm. And I just... By the end of the movie, I was like, I really liked this, but I don't know what the point was. And I want to see it again. If I, It was so different, because every other Wes Anderson movie is just... I love them, but they're just coming of age. It's just... Yeah. A weird young male character usually probably had a traumatic childhood, doesn't know how to cope with the world, meets a girl... You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the same kind of story told in different ways. This one was something completely different. Based on what you said, if I had to just guess what they were trying to go for, it's like how time warps your memory. I took it as a meta, like, I don't want to spoil the movie for you, but I, I, okay. I think there was a little bit of Wes Anderson commenting on himself, how his critics are just like, his movies are all about the shots. There's no substance. Mm-hmm. And I think he was like, this movie was kind of fuck you to those people. But I don't know. Yeah. There's this one scene with Margot Robbie at the end. She's only one scene. And it was mm-hmm. like, it's so beautiful. And I'm like, that had to be the centerpiece of the movie. But I don't know what it means. Yeah. It was uh, very, it, it left me with a lot to chew on, which is not something his movies usually do. It was almost like a Christopher Nolan, yeah. like, mindfuck. You, you walked into Oppenheimer by accident. You're like, I don't remember. And there's some thing. atomic bomb shit in the movie. And I was like, this is so weird. They're coming out yeah. a few weeks apart. Have you seen all the Oppenheimer memes? I've seen all the memes. I've seen memes that are like, it'll be a couple. Uh-huh. So it'll be like me and you uh-huh. and and I'm wearing like a beach outfit and uh-huh. you're wearing like a gothy outfit. And it'll be like, guess who's seeing Barbie? Guess who's seeing Oppenheimer? Yeah, yeah. Because they're coming out on the same day. I saw a good one that was Avengers themed. So it was like Avengers Mansion or like Barbie fans and it was like the Avengers Mansion all in pink. And then it was like Oppenheimer fans and it was somebody bombing the Avengers <laughs> Mansion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, it's I'm excited for both, but I'm more excited for Barbie. Barbie's going to be... Uh, and Courtney an is far more... Movie. I mean, Courtney doesn't even want to see Bar- Barbie, but she is stoked about Oppenheimer. Dude, Bar- Courtney must just not care as much about like the credits about the movie because that's what I usually do. Yeah, I don't, think, like, I don't think directed by Greta Gerwig means anything to her. Yeah, see, and to I'm telling me, her, I'm like, I'm trust you. I'm like, it's not gonna. The be. fact that Greta Gerwig's directing it, Noah Baumbach co-wrote the script, and like this, the the cast is stacked. Like Will Ferrell's in it, Issa Rae, obviously Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be the best movie of the year. Yeah, it's definitely it's gonna be subversive. It's not gonna be just some like yeah, you know, stupid 
materialism movie. I am hoping... Uh, do you know what it's rated yet? No, but there's no way it's... It's got to just be PG, right? I don't, yeah, I don't even think it'd be PG-13. Because yeah. they still got to market it. Like, it's still got to be kid-friendly. Right, yeah. So I think they're going to find a way to make a good... But, P- I mean, Pixar movies are PG and subversive. Like, yeah, yeah. Y- you, can, you can work that stuff what's, into a PG what's movie. What's the one that was the most recent subversive one? Well, I know a lot of people didn't like Elemental. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. It got pretty bad reviews. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Anyway, got off on a serious tangent there. Uh, what were we talking about before that? We were, we, I don't know, movies, Wes Anderson. You were talking uh, about pe- your dad. People still being curious. Your dad was curious. And yeah. open when they get older. So I don't have anything else to add to that point. I think we kind of covered it. Is there anything else you wanted no, to say? It's just a, it's just a bummer. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I'm sure you've had family members too, or just like. They don't want to, or like you said to Haley's mom, it's just sad to think about these people just don't want anything new in their life. Yeah. There's so much, there's a whole world out there. I have a, I have more empathy for people like that now because, like, she's dealing with Haley's stepdad's, like, got lung cancer. Her mom had, like, two collapsed lungs happen, and she had to, like, drive all the way to Mississippi because her mom refuses to move to Kentucky so she can help, you know, her Haley's grandma's like eighty two. Like she needs to live closer to her family at this point. You know, I get it. I mean, I get. Yeah, there's reasons because life is hard for everyone. But but it, but like, just the way I work, mm-hmm. taking in these new things, whether it's music or a TV show, whatever, yeah. that makes life easier. That's like why I want them to. Th- these things help us like cope and. The thing that is nice about her is that she operates. Ve- she's very much immediately in grandma mode. Mm-hmm. Because Nurturing. the things that she likes to do with us, well, for one thing, she always is like, oh, I'm going to buy your lunch. Let me buy you guys some gas. And so like, she's always just like giving because she doesn't put her money to anything else. Mm. But all of the activities she suggests to do with us are all activities that you would typically do with like a five-year-old. But she operates on this very childlike kind of level. So she, she texted me the other day and she was like, oh, do you want to go? I saw, I, I was thinking we could go on another little trip do you and Haley want to go to the Toyota factory? I'm like, where is that? Is that the thing in Bowling Green? It's in like Georgetown or something. It's, it's, it's close somewhere close. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, why the fuck would I want to go there? I don't give a (laughs) shit about cars. Yeah. That doesn't sound, but then I thought about it and I'm like, well, she knows we have a Toyota Prius and she's, it, she just has no, She's trying. Yeah. that generation. They don't know. Some of them don't know how to connect. They don't know how to be like, she doesn't give a fuck that I like, horror movies mm. so she's not, and she she doesn't want to do that so she's not going to be like oh you want to go to the texas chainsaw massacre museum but uh, my mom's the same way like she'll say things and it's like yeah. you don't know a fucking thing about me and but like she tries she tries but it's also like there's something about that generation where it's harder to tr- just be like what's a movie that you saw recently mm-hmm. that they, they they have a hard time not filling up space with like meaningless conversation because we were able to grow up and become more vulnerable because we weren't dealing with the kinds of things they were dealing with, I guess, something like that. So that, that, uh, <laughs> this is so many tangents. That is something I noticed. I don't know if it's a thing in the, like specifically to where we grew up in Kentucky mm-hmm. or if it's everywhere, but I would say people over 40, 45 have such a hard time even being vulnerable enough to say they love something. Yeah. I noticed that like everyone in my family, pretty much if they, um, like went to a restaurant and they really loved it, they won't say that. They'll say, mm-hmm. it wasn't bad. Yeah. Like nothing can ever be great. Yeah. Like they're afraid to even 
commit to loving something. It's always yeah. like, it's pretty good. Oh, not bad. Yeah. And I, feel like, like, th- I, I find it so bizarre. I feel I, like it always sticks out whenever anyone says does that. Does Mallory do stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just... Because if I go somewhere, I'm like, I love this. Yeah, you got to you gotta go uh, try this pizza buffet. We yeah, but then other, like, yeah. other people in my family would just be like, not bad. Yeah, it's like you, you'll be like, man, that steak from Aspen Creek was <laughs> so good, and they were—they're all just like their mouths are watering, and they're like, yeah, I'm bad. They're like, they're like licking their upper lip. Yeah, that's the like, thing is like, I can tell you love it, and you yeah. won't say that you love it. There's some. I think people are just afraid to be vulnerable. I think yeah. that's really—it's really that simple. And I think that is part of what O Children makes that song so special because it's about like you have to be vulnerable enough to be like, all right, well, I'm gonna. I'm not getting on that train to hell. I'm going to fucking take 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 my life now and just savor what I had. And that's very much how this song feels. It feels like how, you know, we talked about what dying feels like. The way that the song is written, the way the verses and the chorus just trade off and trade off. Like I mentioned, it feels, it feels like a church service. It feels like the kinds of music that happens when it's like, okay, everybody, time to bring your donation up mm-hmm. and... Everybody's like, fuck. In did you ever go to church at all growing up? Mm-hmm. Very you, rarely. You know how they do yeah. that thing where they're like, they're like, turn to your neighbor and say hello, and you like <laughs> yeah. shake people's hands. Like that stuff is the best part about going to church. That's the stuff that matters, and that's what what makes our children so special is that that that's hard for people to do to like say hello to someone they don't know. Mm-hmm. And oh, children, I think breaks that down so well because. It's ultimately just about what it feels like when you're on your deathbed and you're seeing these waves like you see the children, you see the life you've lived in front of you, you see all these experiences and these curiosities and then it's all gone. And what does that mean? And does it have to mean anything? Sometimes we do these episodes and like we spend 20 minutes talking about other shit. And then I have to like think of some convoluted way to relate it back to the song and act like it. That's what I just did. (laughs) No, but this one, it really... Everything we were talking about is ultimately boils down to like losing your innocence as you get older. Mm-hmm. And that's at the end of the day, that's what this song's about. Yeah. It's about, and that's why they put it in the movie where they did because there's something so innocent about two friends, you know, a boy and a girl who are both straight, them, them dancing as friends. There's nothing sexual about it. It's just to have fun. It's, it's innocent. And this song is about like, is about how we lose that innocence as we get older and lose that curiosity and lose that fire. Yeah. And and that that's all everything we were talking about. That's all what it was about. Even contextually to the movie that the song is famous or known from famously. I mean, all of the characters in Harry Potter that we know up until that point had their innocence shattered at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Like Harry was deeply disturbed before he was even like one years old, like he, or one year old. He, he faced like the darkest evil in that world that he could face. And now Nick Cave's featured in one of his movies. (laughs) Good job, Harry Potter. I mean, that's what makes it, you know, all of J.K. Rowling sucking aside, that's what makes it such a powerful story because a lot of times fantasy stories, you live in this world where anything's possible and it's magical and real life horror and guilt and tragedy don't really come into play because mm-hmm. it's like in this other world. Harry Potter was so smart because it's set in the real world. And yeah, they can do all this magical shit, but they still have to deal with, like you said, everyone, even down to like Neville, like all, all the characters have their innocence broken by the end. 
that's the genius of Harry Potter too, is like you said, like the real world aspect of it, because that's, I think always what makes the best, like young adult, like children's literature is like, is it called low fantasy when it's set in the real world? There's like high fantasy. And I don't I, it, low I, fantasy. I don't know actually. Yeah. And there's a term for curious. like when fantasy set in the real world. High fantasy is obviously like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And like, Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Even Game of Thrones might be more like mid fantasy because that feels like the most realistic fantasy, even with the dragons. But I think that's the way that like Harry Potter, ba- basically J.K. Rowling was like, how can I make imagination into a book? Mm. And she was like, oh, I'll just make it like the real world. And then if you if you know magic, you see this whole that's that's you see this whole other world. Like that's the ma- that's the best part about being a kid is like. I remember before I had my innocence shattered, I used to play, I used to hide these rocks on the playground that I, I, I went to a Catholic school and we would hide these rocks under one of those, what are those things called that are in parking spaces, the like concrete slab? Oh, like, I know there's rebar in them, but it's I, like don't, a fucking, I don't know what they're called. It's like a stopper. Yeah, Just everybody knows that. what you're talking about. But that one had like a chip in it and there was a big hole in it. So I would hide all my mm. little rocks in there, but when I took them out, they were like, uh, Star Fox ships, and I don't know. It was, know where like, I was, it was going like a with transfer, transformation chamber. Like it, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, it it didn't matter that they were just rocks to yeah. me. It was like this is Falco and this is Slippy, and you know, my friend Tommy was like playing with them too, and we were just pretending. I don't know where that has what that has to do with <laughs> Nick Cave, but that's innocence. That's 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 being a kid. Yeah, there there was something you said earlier about how there's a aspect of Nick, of of the bad seeds in Nick Cave's music that appeals to a like a writerly a creative quality mm. but i would argue that his music i feel like transcends that what do you think i think it does which i mean is obvious by how famous he is mm-hmm. i i just mean like this whole conversation we're having right now yeah i don't know how like Someone like my mom would take that. My mom would probably like this song because the song is very. Your grandma would probably like listenable, and this is just one of those songs like I think anyone would like. But like with these ideas, even I think when you're creative, that's the whole thing of being creative. Is you're trying every time you sit down to like write something, or you're making a video, or you're trying to like express yourself. You're trying to tap into that childhood innocence. Mm-hmm. So this song's really going to hit with us because it's something we do often. We're always trying to find that again. But if you're just like someone who just like goes to work and then watches the voice mm-hmm. and then goes to bed, like I don't know if like the deeper things of the song and a lot of Nick Cave songs are really going to I don't know. Like I don't know if they're going to matter to you. Yeah, that's a de- that's a depressing idea to think about. There are so many people that really like they don't look any deeper into anything and I think Oh, children is all about like. I, I mean, that's the depressing part about the creative process. Sorry to cut you off, but no, I, okay. I think about this all the time when I'm like writing a song and I'm like pouring it out into these lyrics, and then this is the like b- gut wrenching part of like creativity. I'm like, even if I express this perfectly, it might only matter to like one out of every 100 people who hear it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, even if you nail it, it's not even going to matter to everyone. Yeah. And that, that's hard to like come to terms with. Absolutely. And I think all that stuff is kind of where the song coalesce, coalesces into this perfect experience, which is like Nick Cave set out, I think on this album is, I don't know if we've said this explicitly or and we have said it before, but 
this album was like kind of like it's very churchy. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a lot of organ. They are to choir. Yeah, it's yeah. very like purposefully. This is probably the 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 probably the mission statement for that for this album. Even though it's a, an album full of just amazing tracks that could all be that all hold hold a candle to oh children. But I think he really nailed like what the best parts of religion and spirituality are. Because I think a lot, I, even myself, I, I, I hear like the 13, 12 or 13 year old in me being like, you know, fuck Christianity, mm-hmm. fuck God. I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. And I, I don't know if I'm an atheist anymore, but when I hear songs like this and I, I, I see like, again, I'm going to use Haley's mom as an example. Like her mom goes to church and she, she says these things that are maddening to me where she's like, she said, she said she's having heart pressure and she's worried about her husband's like lung cancer. And, but she's like, you just got to give it up to God and pray that God's going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And I fucking hate that so much. Yeah, me too. That's one of the worst parts of watching sports is like after a game, they're like, God did this for me. So I'm yeah, just I like, hate, hate because all. I'm like, you are giving away all agency. Yeah. You're, you're not crediting yourself for like working hard or whatever but you might've accomplished. What give I, it up to God. What I hear in it that I'm, and that I have, I'm, I'm empathetic about is that you, be, you, you seemingly believe so much that this non-existent person is looking out for you that it gives you this peace. Yeah, you don't you want to think like oh it's out of my hands. It makes makes life less scary. Like a big fear of mine and my mom my mom is not like that, but a big fear of mine is that uh I I it got even I got even more fearful of it after I read Japanese breakfast book um crying in H Mart. Is that there's going to come a time where my mom is just going to be like my mom is going to get sick from something and she probably won't get sick for a while because she's very healthy. She's got this like fucking upstate New York like resiliency. Like she might she should she could probably be like a long distance truck driver if she wanted to. (laughs) Like she could she could do some kind of insane job. But there's going to come a time where she's going to be like, yeah, I don't really want to do chemo or radiation, even if there's Mm -hmm. like a 10 percent chance that it could cure me. And. That I get, but there's also always going to be a part of me that's like, what about, what about this? What about that? Like, we got to, we got to, we got to make sure you're, you're, you do everything you need to do. And it's like, Mm -hmm. first of all, who is this for? Second of all, like, that's just a hard thing for me to do is it feels like giving up, even if it might not be that for that person. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's when a lot of people find religion Mm because they're like, well, let me put it in God's hands and Mm -hmm. just, yeah, it just becomes less scary. The thing I like about religion is, I mean, not I, I don't like much about religion, but when the way I think it's supposed to work is when you dive into the scary things, when religion makes you question your philosophy on life and how you view the world. And mm-hmm. I think we do that without religion. But for some people, I remember like 10 years ago when I joined the Foxer, like I'd have conversations with Travis and Calvin a lot, and they were both religious. Mm-hmm. But they really thought about it, and it like... They, it made them think, like, how do I see people? How do I see society? And that stuff's... I think it's important. Well, let me ask you, do you think, like, knowing about philosophy and, and these kind of, like, bigger things, bigger than ourselves, matter? Because I remember 
once I had a conversation, I think it was with Mike Stewart, pretty sure it was him, and he was like, I kind of think all that stuff's bullshit. Like, you still got to have a job, and you're still going to live your life and hang out with your friends and be with your loved ones, and what does philosophy matter? And I always, I've always thought it matters, but I don't know why. Like, it just matters to me to have, like, a way you see the world. Yeah. But I don't know why it matters. It matters because it, like, I think that Mike said that he expressed his own philosophy. Mm-hmm. Because to Mike, what matters most is friends, which are basically his family, art, mm-hmm. and, like, having fun. You know, prioritizing on these things that are important to him. And sorry, Mike, if I'm, if I'm uh, misconstruing you with someone else. I think it was. I think it was but, but I also think, like, like we were mentioning earlier about, you know, I have that, I have a friend who is like, think, thinks that like, you know, what's the point in trying that hard? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think he truly believes that. I think he puts on a front to seem cool and like apathetic. But when you say things like that, what I hear is like, oh, well, instead of doing what you can to better yourself or to better the world, to make decisions to help things, you're like, well, it's not going to matter anyway because I'm one person. You've already relegated to that. Your life is meaningless by saying that. So I think I, I see what Mike's saying. I, I'd be willing to bet he's, that's probably not exactly what he meant. But I think philosophy works similarly to religion and spirituality in that it alleviates a confusing and almost immovable problem. So you read Thus Spoke Zarathustra or and I haven't read that, but you read some Nietzsche or you listen to fucking Godspeed, you black emperor or something like all of that stuff. It's all the same thing. Like mm-hmm. it's going to shape your outlook on life. So you're, everybody has a philosophy. Like you said, some people's philosophy is I'm going to work an honest job, maybe get married. And when I come home, I want to watch married with children and I want to watch King of Queens reruns while I eat my McDonald's. And i I love that. Mm-hmm. Then there's other people who are like, well, I can't wait to get home and do my calculus homework and hang out with my girlfriend and my dog. And then later I'll probably chip away at the short story I'm writing and, you know, or record a podcast with my friend. You know, I think it's all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just how, well, how are you feeling the day? I, I do think there's a fundamental difference between both of them and that engaging in consumption is different than engaging with creation. So, but I, 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 I definitely feel like if you have a philosophy that there isn't that philosophy doesn't matter, then you do have a philosophy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I don't know. I operate like that. Like I'm a very, I'm very much one of those people that would say things like it's not, not this or (laughs) it can't, can't be this, you know, like it's, it's just kind of my way of, and your way too. I think of thinking about that stuff. It plays into that very idea. Again, duality, you know, on the philosophy tip, I, I heard, I'll run the Jules song the other day, and I forgot about how good the, this line is. Mm-hmm. Vonnegut versus Ayn Rand. LP has a line. I think it's on Run the Jewels three or four, mm-hmm. and it's I got a Vonnegut. I got a Vonnegut punch for your Atlas shrugged. <laughs> I know that line. That, that line's awesome. So good. You know, hot take, but I think that LP is the best part about Run the Jewels. He definitely. Um, I don't know if if he started off at that way, but like. He is now. I, I think I always liked LP the most, but I think Killer Mike just sounds so good over his beats. Uh, LP is, 
I don't think he's dropped off a bit, and Killer Mike kind of has. You know what? You're going to know what I'm going to say, but you know what was really upsetting? Not upsetting, but a bummer was that new Killer Mike album. Yeah, I thought it was a bummer, too. I was like... I don't know if I listened to the whole thing. I probably listened to like eight songs. Dude, the name, the album cover... I don't care about features on rap mm-hmm. albums. Like, that doesn't... That's not... Unless it was Greta Gerwig, I don't care, you know. <laughs> Greta Gerwig on the Adelina new. featuring Greta Gerwig, <laughs> and it's just a sample of her. Have you seen Greenberg? She's That's like one of her first movies. No. Is it good? It's awesome. It's got I'll Ben Stiller it. in it. It's very mumblecore, like kind of. Oh, yeah. I, I know the movie, but, but I haven't seen it. Do you like Ben Stiller? Um, I think I like, maybe he's like Dave Grohl. I, I think I really liked Ben Stiller as a guy. I don't yeah. know if I like a lot of his movies, but I, like. I love Ben Stiller. I, I think he is a similar kind of place for me for like Will Ferrell and like Adam I love Sandler. when he pop, like when he's in Arrest Development. Mm-hmm. The, like when he guest stars, he's great. And um, oh. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, who does Tony Wonder? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, the magician. That's, oh my God, I love that guy. It's, uh. Doesn't he do that thing where he's like, ah, 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 enjoy the cupcake, friend. <laughs> he might have my favorite joke on the show. There's, uh, he's talking. Use your illusion too. <laughs> he's talking to Will Arnett and he's like trying to like show off, you know? Mm-hmm. And some guy walks up and is like, man, I cannot figure out how you did that trick. And he's like, well, I'm not going to fucking tell you. And he walks away. And then Vincent's like, we call them how do you do that? <laughs> and I don't oh. know why. I always thought that was the funniest joke. Buffy didn't like that joke. Yeah, but she doesn't really get the sense of humor. It's yeah, she's time. more of a family guy type of girl. When I told that bad roaches joke earlier, she died. She was like, those are some bad roaches. <laughs> but that's all to say, like, uh, what, what were we talking about? I got distracted for a second. Philosophy, and then I brought up Run the Jewels. <laughs> we brought up Run to the Jewels. Oh, we were talking about that Michael album. That album should have been good. And I and I say that fully as a person who hasn't made any music in like two years. That album should have been great. And he did all this stuff like I didn't even I couldn't even I didn't listen to the whole thing. I just got bored. It reminded me a lot of Weezer. Yeah. Weezer's whole thing was like Rivers uh, Cuomo was just laying bare his like this is what my life is like right now. Mm-hmm. And when he was young, his life was interesting because he was a fucking nerdy loser who became yeah. a rock star, and that's interesting. Then he got rich, and he kept writing honestly about his life, but his life wasn't interesting anymore. Yeah. And Killer Mike's just like, he's just a rich kind of asshole now, and it's just not that compelling to hear him that's, talk about it. That's what was so weird is like... There he, was one song about being a landlord and how people should pay their rent, and I'm like, Killer Mike 20 years ago was yeah. fucking... Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's... He's changed, you know, but he's, he's, he, I think he's writing honestly... I just don't think I like the who Killer Mike is The thing now. is that you you love to see a successful black businessman, but a successful black businessman in America is still operating in a culture that is built on. It doesn't have to change like your like. Jay Z is a fucking billionaire. I'd never heard a Jay Z song where I'm like, you sound like a fucking. That's cop. what's weird. Is like you said it already. The fact that Killer Mike thought people would relate to that. And it's like, the thing is, is Killer Mike, you weren't making music like Gucci Mane or Young Thug. Mm-hmm. Like, if they say that, that's their thing. They're just like, that's what they rap about. They're they're aesthetically appealing. You, you built your career on, like, bars and rapping about, like, real shit a lot of the time. And kind of hyperbolic and run the jewels, right? Mm-hmm. That's what, what, what was a bummer about it is it just was like, it just felt like he got too cocky. 
And I feel like that's a hard, that's a tough line for him because arguably Run the Jewels is probably the biggest rap duo in the last 10 years. I can't think of a different one. Rap duo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Like, you know, I don't even think JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. As far as rap groups, even it's only Migos and them. Yeah. I mean, that's only two like really mm-hmm. notable. I mean, I might be forgetting something really obvious, but that's no, the only no, two no. I can think of. I, I mean, I think for the, what we know about rap and hip hop, I, I think that that's an okay claim to make, but. They're the only two groups playing stadiums, I think. That that was that was a just because there haven't been a lot of great albums that have come out since that JPEG Mafia and the Rat Saw God record went the Wednesday record. I, I've been kind of like looking for something new and it just I thought it was gonna be great. So I'm just kinda no offense, Killer Mike, if you're listening, you know. Oh, I was bummed too, because I, I love all four on the Jewels well, records. I I haven't really delved super far into their solo careers, but yeah. I really like what I've heard of both. And I, I get he was probably trying to. He was probably like, I want to do something really different. I want to make like a personal album. And his last solo record was in, was like ten years ago, and mm-hmm. he did it with LP. But the way I'm thinking is like, why don't you just do a solo album and have LP do the production again? Because that worked really well mm-hmm. for you. But I was no. wondering, me and Courtney were talking about it because we heard one of the songs on, I think it was on the radio on 91.9. And I was like, maybe LP just didn't want to be attached to some of these bars. And he was like, I'm out. Well, he has like a... He has, I, he has one guest feature. I, I, I think he has a line on there that's pretty homophobic. He might. I mean, he has, there was like a, a song that was like, I mean, I know he's like not, not about abortion, but like, you don't got to make a song about it. And yeah, there was just some... Some shit where I was just Again, like, this is just... Whether it's like an like an old black dude or an old white dude, like, they're older. Like, they have different... You know, he grew mm-hmm. up in a different time. Like, he's he's just... When, he's, when, you, when you really, like... If you ever watch any of the Killer Mike stuff, it's like, he is really just, like, your uncle. Like, he's just, he's just like, go, going to strip clubs. He happens to rap, like... But he's doing... He's just doing kind of uncle type things. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's got some crazy beliefs. He has yeah. a lot of good beliefs, which mm-hmm. is why he aligned with Bernie. Mm-hmm. But he's also, you know, I, I believe uh, his like he he's not for abortion because he thinks it's like a conspiracy to kill to have black people have less kids. And I mean, well, that's that's bonkers because like the fact that abortion is is becoming more and more illegal actually impacts black people more. I, I mean, I know that. Because it I mean, keeps people impoverished. If I, if I, if I, was, if I met Killer Mike, I'm not going to argue with him about it because who am I to say? I'm a white guy, but like... I think I probably would argue with him about it. Even if, even if he just destroyed me publicly, I think I'd be like, dude, I don't know. Like, I mean, you should be able to have a child and not be poor because of it hmm. if that's what you want to do. But like Mitch McConnell definitely wants you to have kids because that's another person to put in the prison system. That's another person to put into the the medical system and our medical system fucking sucks. That's another person to work at McDonald's. Another person work at McDonald's. I mean, of those three options, that's probably, that's the best one. I mean, I think that's, you know, they want um, a lot of poor people to not be able to have abortions because poor people work in the service industry. Yeah. There'll be more kids that can grow up and work for Amazon and work McDonald's and yeah. Taco Bell and everything. Anyway, Keller Mike, if you hear this, you know, I don't want to debate you. You'll probably win. But oh, he's a legend. It's hard. I mean, dude, yeah. it's it's hard 
it's hard for any musician to like stay cool, uh-huh. but especially a rapper. It's hard for a rapper like 45 years old to be cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, you I got think, your push of T's. You don't have many of them. I though. think the only one who's really doing it well is Danny Brown. He's the only rapper in his 40s who like. Danny Brown also had the luxury of not getting famous until he was like 30. He's not honestly, and he's he's not even that famous. Well, yeah, but uh, you know he, what I mean. Like, yeah. Uh, he's maintained this great area of like underground success. He doesn't have a 25 years of like popular albums. He, like wasn't, he, on like a, he wasn't on a fucking outcast album. Like that's mm-hmm. just a killer. Mike's a product of his circumstances. Like it's hard he, to have like a 30 year long relevant rap career. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and the people that do it are like kind of the weirdos, like the beastie boys. Like, yeah, it's hard to like not be a weirdo and, and have that image for so for decades and decades. Yeah. I mean, that's like a whole other episode is talking about like, like I watched this interview. This is a completely, this isn't rap, but I watched this interview that Billy Corgan did for, I think he released like some, some acoustic songs or something hmm. recently. And he did it at his Madame Zuzu's mm-hmm. with his wife. And it is the most cringe fucking thing I've ever seen. Oh yeah. You're telling me about it. Yeah. But I like, I can't help but love Billy Corgan even in those moments. Cause he's like, he says things that I'm just like, that is actually like correct. Like I agree with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then it's like, he's like interrupting his wife and then she'll just be like, why don't you say it? She is, she, that woman is a saint. Cause like, I don't know. I, I could never be married to Billy Corgan. If he talked to me that way, I would fucking just, I would, honestly, I would probably, I'd be like, despite all my rage, I'm going to fucking <laughs> kill you. <laughs> like, no, that reminds me of like Prince interviews I've watched where. Prince I think, is a similarly annoying. I think he seems person. so unlikable. Yeah. But then he says these things. I'm like, you're fucking, you're so smart. That's exactly what I would. But I'm yeah. like, I don't think I like you very much. Yeah, yeah. And then you, and then you start to think about whether or not like Prince would have been a perfect Batman instead of Michael Keaton. Like, what that I would have loved to like. see that. Yeah, that'd be the tiniest little uh, costume ever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it'd be a tiny costume. <laughs> they had, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they had a vest he wore, and it was like, dude, it was like as big as this book. Yeah. He was such a tiny man. I didn't know Prince was that small. Uh, I think he was like five foot even and he weighed like 80 pounds. He was like the tiniest dude. Damn. And Prince like fucked. He like slept with a lot of people probably. It's crazy he had that much stage presence. Yeah. Being that. No, he was a very like smaller than these Tyler days, Higgins. These, he was like a tiny, tiny little man. These days they, I think they would refer to him as a short king. <laughs> short king. <laughs> they uh, absolutely would. <laughs> um. But uh, should we should we get back to the topic at hand? I mean, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Unless you got anything I just, else. I really want to hear about um, your your second Cure show. Oh, oh yeah, so, saw the Cure again in Atlanta mm-hmm. at the drank a lot of soda at the State Farm Arena for the Atlanta Hawks play. Glad you didn't make the Jake from State Farm joke that everybody in my life makes. Now. I thought they'd have. <laughs> It sucks because you had to live through two Jake. From, there was the white one like 15 years ago. Yeah. And then they brought it back with a new black guy. Yeah. So now it's all over again. Every time I go somewhere, it's, people just do that. They brought they, it back. They, they were like, think of let's a better, get a new Jake from State I don't Farm. Know, I, I'd almost rather than be like, oh, what's up, Jake the Snake Roberts? Like, <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be much cooler. <laughs> you, you just got to start acting really evil. He's one of the yeah. most evil, <laughs> evil wrestlers of all time. I think we've decided I would always be the heel in a wrestling match. So. You should watch some Jake the Snake videos. Yeah. That guy's crazy. It's, he's like an older, old school wrestler. That's the kind of wrestling that I feel like I could get into. Like the old. He's got this really scary, like he talks really slow, really mm-hmm. raspy, just mm-hmm. intimidating. Yeah. You know who I think is pretty scary watching videos of is Stone Cold. He's just intense. Yeah. He's intense. Yeah. 
That's what you gotta do. You gotta walk out there and just fucking bring it. Mm-hmm. He's a good. He was. He was iconic for that though. Um. So yeah, this time I saw them in Cleveland. I don't know if I talked about talked about it on the podcast mm-hmm. in the in the rain outside. Pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. Yeah. It, it was fitting to see the cure in the rain, but yeah. we had to walk like a mile from the parking lot to the amphitheater. It was raining the whole time. And you're soaked under your poncho too, probably. Yeah, like mm-hmm. there was not a inch of my body that wasn't soaked with water. Yeah. Um, and then we didn't even get to go home. You go to the hotel, like, which is nice. But it's not like going home and like having. Well, your... the thing about going to the hotel is you've got like, especially because it rained, you also have like this like pile of wet clothing you just have to bring with yeah. you. Yeah. And it just smells. We couldn't figure out to dry car. it, so we. When we left for the day, the next day, we turned the heat on in the room, put the clothes on the yeah. heater, uh-huh. but then the room was hot when we got back. Yeah. Anyway, um, that show was really great, but I, I didn't love the set list. Mm-hmm. They just played a lot of songs. I would have rather heard other songs. This time, they probably switched out like 12 of the songs, and everything they switched out was stuff I'd rather hear. So That's great. It was. Uh, they played some pornography stuff, some... Blood flowers. Yeah, Bloodflower songs, some fa- stuff from Faith, 17 Seconds. Just a lot of really varied, like, all over the place. Courtney Home Early? Damn. Damn. Damn Mormons are back. They heard us talking about O Children. The the opening band, if anyone hasn't heard them, or even you, Jake, the Twilight Sad, they're really good. I haven't heard of that. It's a great name. They're, uh, they're from Scotland, so the accent's pretty, it's pretty thick. It might turn you off. It's, like, a very thick... Scottish accent, mm-hmm. but it's just like really poppy, energetic post punk. Like they're they're a really good band. The Cure feels like a. Can you call? Do they fit under the term like legacy band? Is that or is that like a band mm-hmm. that's inherited something? I feel like I'm not using that term right. When I think of, I mean, this is like I, I think this is everyone could have a different idea on that. When I think legacy band, I think like if you saw Guns and Roses. You're not expecting them to play any new songs. You don't want them to play any new songs. Okay. The Cure, they played like seven new songs. Yeah. Like they played a lot of unreleased, like they're preparing for a new album and I think people want to hear the new album. I think they're still a relevant band. Let me, let me say that, let me start over. But they are like, I mean, they've been around for 40 years. So let me, let me start over with what I was going to say then. So the Cure feels like not a legacy band, but they feel like it, like an established rock band that's going to sell out like are they playing stadiums yeah this is like 20 something thousand people so they're playing stadiums but they feel like they're they've got to probably have like a, a manager who helps with this but they feel very they feel like they would be the kind of band that'd be involved in like putting a smaller band on mm-hmm. so like they're like this you know this band rocks let's put them on here like they'll be a great fit you know they're not just put, putting like fucking like even Blink-182 does a good job about that. They put White Reaper and Turnstile mm-hmm. on their, some of their shows. Like, I like when big bands do stuff like that. That's, that's all I'm saying. Like, Dude, seeing The Cure twice, Robert Smith is the cool... Like, he is so endearing. Yeah. I, he's the coolest fucking dude. Yeah. I, it made me like him so much. I'm glad to hear that. Just how goofy he is. Like, he just doesn't mm-hmm. seem to care about looking cool. Uh, not that he looks, like, not cool, but you know what I mean? He just, like... I mean, he's always kind of looked not cool. He doesn't... You know? Yeah, he doesn't seem to have that, like, rock star ego. Mm-hmm. Maybe he does, but he doesn't, like, portray it. Yeah. And he seems so nice, and mm-hmm. I was just like, this guy is the coolest. He feels like he would have similar stage presence to Mike, but doesn't Mike tend to, like, turn away from the audience sometimes? Yeah, Robert Smith hands it up with the with the crowd. Yeah, I think uh, it's because Mike... Isn't Robert Smith pretty big? He's, like, a taller guy? 
He just feels like he seems like similar size to Mike. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, he's got the big hair. He does. He has a larger than life. Something like that. Kind of like a cartoony quality. Like could have stepped out of an episode of The Simpsons or something. But he's just so charming when he's talking in between songs. And I'm really glad to hear that because I know he's probably one of your musical heroes or you know. Yeah, definitely. You, big, that uh, inspired you or guitar you. hero. Yeah, guitar hero. <laughs> <laughs> Do you heard it here and Jubilee Street all are. Music, guitar, definitely very, guitar heroes. One of the most influential people on how I play guitar. Warren Ellis, another guitar hero. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Corgan, guitar hero. Um, Michelle Zahner, guitar hero. Uh, no, they had an awesome light show. Just, just a great. I mean, they just. I mean, they're playing stadiums. They have it. They've been doing it for forty years. They have it locked down. It's just a great show. It's been kind of interesting, like hearing from afar. You've been engaging with that music that you've been into for so long because I feel like. I'm in this stage of my life where I'm I'm getting into older things. Like I've been listening to this Deftones playlist that I told you about that Andrew made for me. And as I was like diving into some of their songs, I was like trying to figure out what their influences were because you know, they started out as like a new metal band, but they uh the lead singer Chino, he has this like Robert Smith, like Morrissey quality to the way that he does things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was cool when, when I was reading about them because he, they are super inspired by like the cure and stuff. And it's just been interesting to like, kind of, I feel like I've been getting into these bands that I should have liked like 30 years ago and, or not 30, but you know, like 15, 15 like years ago school. or something in high school. And I'm getting into them now, but their sound feels like I feel like it's it it's a testament to the music if I'm like 30 31 32 and I'm enjoying music that was written for probably people half my age you know well the Deftones are a lot like the Cure in that there's a lot of bands that try to sound like the Cure and most almost all of them are not that great mm -hmm. and there's a lot of bands that try to sound like the Deftones and no one does it I'm not a big Deftones fan but I can tell they like they are the best at what they do yeah I don't have any like live music corner stuff to update on. Uh, unfortunately, we ended up not going to Waterfront Wednesday this week. I think something I ended up double booking something, and I, I made I ha oh I told James I would help him move, and I'd completely forgotten that we were going to go, but it ended up not uh, it ended up just didn't work out. So I'm looking forward to seeing Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia, and that's all I really got slated. Yeah, I I don't know if I told you this. The Cure they. I've never seen a band that like does their set list like this. If I, did I tell you about how they like, they do all the hits at the end? Yeah, that sounds familiar. But you should. So so still, it's all I the set list it. is. There's like a first set and there's two encores, and the first set they did like pictures of you at the beginning. They did like one or two songs everyone knows, but it's just like, in the weeds are just like gothy, mm -hmm. <laughs> like kind of oppressive. There was a part where they were playing like some pornography songs, and I was like. It is crazy they're playing these songs in a stadium. Yeah. They are so gloomy and <laughs> they're so bass heavy and just like, mm -hmm. it's crazy to me 20,000 people are in a room right now listening to this. Yeah. Um, it, it'd be hard to imagine them ever doing like a, like a re, like a, an anniversary tour for like Blood Flowers and playing that whole album front to back. Yeah. It's just the kind of songs like this doesn't seem like stadium music. Yeah. And then they save it all for the end and then they hit you with Boys Don't Cry just like heaven. Yeah lullaby all the hits it's probably it probably feels really good when that happens it's it's cool like i've never seen a band do that usually yeah. you mix it all together and they save it all for the end and everyone's you know one seemed like bummed about it mm -hmm. 
and then, yeah, it's a cool release because you get all the happy stuff at the end. In recent years, I, I think I've become less of a concert person than you. I'm, pr- I'm a little more particular about what shows I go to. But I will say I think it it's important for a band like that who's going to – they played probably like two hours, right? Two and a half, maybe even like three. Yeah, That's a long, a long show. They play like 30 songs. You have, to, you have to plan the set well or else people are going to leave. And they got videos. They have video graphics. Like, yeah, it's all very planned. Yeah, if you if, – if, like – I already feel like if like I still have my kind of like old me- mentality from when I was like into going to punk shows and it's like if a band plays longer than 20 minutes like mm-hmm. they've got to be really good mm-hmm. to hold your attention it's it's tough so it's awesome that the cure can like do that and it's probably just so explosive when that song finally comes through after they've done the weirder cuts mm. especially if they're playing new material I feel like new material no matter what is like in a big venue, like to me, I think it was ballsy of them to play like seven new songs yeah. that aren't even out yet. Yeah, that's but really crazy. I'm excited for this new album; they're really good. Yeah, yeah. So if it ever comes out, that was Ian's live music corner. Check us out on all the socials at Jubilee Street Pod on Instagram. Like and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so you get all the notifications when the new episodes come out. And we got a we got a Jubilee Street mailbag, JubileeStreetPod at gmail.com. Anything you want to plug? No, thanks everyone for listening. Yeah, O o Children is a banger. I'm really glad you suggested it. And I think that's all I'm going to say. This one's for Corey. See you next time, everybody. This one's for Corey.